0: Hey, welcome to access john here do you share the opinion that there's nothing worse than a liar and a thief well if so that puts a con artist in a category of their own because they're both today we're going to study about some characteristics of a con artist and look for some ways that we might prepare ourselves for the biggest cons that are waiting for us out in the world so get your bibles ready and turn to john chapter 8 verses 12 through 30 because this message is entitled how to spot a con artist Have you ever gotten conned? If you've ever been conned, you know the sting one feels of being cheated out of something precious. Now, what's funny is that we think that, you know, we've been around long enough, we can easily recognize a slick salesman or a fast-talking promoter or someone with a pathetic sob story as being a con artist. Now, you may think that you can instinctively spot a con artist as someone as being fake or shady, but the best con artist can be very charming and very persuasive. A recent study determined that you and I are approached by 8 to 12 scams a day via email or phone or in person. Maybe it's a billboard on the side of the road. They say that we're we're, we're approached by scams all the time. And maybe we don't even recognize them for what they are. Maybe we do, but maybe we don't. Another study determined that last year, 1 out of 10 people fell for a phone scam and lost a total, everybody together, a total of $9.5 billion to phone scams. And before you start passing quick judgment on these suckers, just know that it can happen to the best of us. Con artists come in all shapes and sizes. Now, you might not know this, but con is actually short for confidence, so a con man is a confidence man, and, and that's because that's what these artists do. They gain our confidence and attempt to take us for everything that we're worth. Con artists aren't just men. They can be women, too, and they take advantage by bringing out the worst in us. For example, they might play off of our loneliness, which is why uh, con artists target the elderly, why elder, the elderly are so often taken for everything that they're worth because they're lonely, and so they get close to them and just close enough to take everything from them. The con artists bring out our lust. This is really specifically women who con men out of lots and lots of money. Um, sometimes they, they target our greed, you know, or they target our desire to get rich quick or to get something for cheaper than it's actually worth. Uh, that's why, um, you know, there's a lot of con artists on Craigslist, Now, it's been said you cannot con an honest man. In other words, if we realize that there's no such thing as a free lunch and choose not to go against our better judgment, then we won't get scammed. But con artists can play off our emotions too. For example, you might have encountered a con artist on the side of the road asking for money. These con artists know that we like to think of ourselves as pretty good people. So if they can put us in a situation that causes us to question whether or not we're actually good people or maybe even make us feel guilty that we might not be, well, then we'll usually buckle and we'll do what they want us to do. We'll give them money or we'll, we'll buy them something that they want. When we get cheated, we feel foolish because we don't recognize the con, which is why when you're conned, you aren't as angry as at the person who cheated you as you are at yourself for falling for such an obvious scam. With that being said, probably one of the worst kind, uh, kinds of con men I think, is a religious one. And that's a sad reality that we have to be wary of people claiming to be close to God who are really looking to take advantage. Just some advice, though, if you ever see a preacher wearing a suit that costs more than your monthly mortgage, you might want to steer clear of, of that. Um, and, and, you know, religious cons are, are nothing new. You probably know that during the Crusades, the Catholic Church set up themselves as religious con men by selling indulgences. An indulgence was a piece of paper with a wax seal that was signed by the Pope. And and it was presented in order for the church to pay for the war effort uh, to to win people to Christ. And they said that, you know, you poor people, you must buy it. Uh, and, and if you do, then you can get into heaven. You have the Pope's approval. You got to have the Pope's approval to get to heaven. Now, it's understandable why, why so many people would fall for this scam, but that's what it was because we don't see that anywhere in Scripture. Now, with all these things happening, it's understandable how many people would be skeptical of the church, of God, of Jesus, and the Bible. Just because we're the church doesn't mean that we're innocent. And, and We have actually have a long history of taking advantage of people. Maybe we've done it personally. You know, many people believe that Jesus himself was nothing but a con man. Many people argue that the story of Jesus is the greatest con ever conceived by man. They argue that all of Jesus' miracles were either made up or a deception in some way. For example, I read this post this week, and I'm just like, are you really that dumb? He said, well, Jesus didn't feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread. I could easily do that if I also had false bottoms in the bottom of our basket. Are you, are you an idiot? Like, how can you believe that? That he had false bottoms. They argue that Jesus didn't really walk on water. He simply installed planks, uh, you know, to walk on just a few inches below the surface of the water. And he just he just he's a great deceiver. He's a con artist. Jesus didn't really raise from the dead. His disciples stole his body and they circulated this story afterwards. And I'm sure you probably heard all, you know, the, the accusations about Jesus. Well, today, what we're gonna actually uh, study is a passage scripture that shows how Jesus faced skepticism. Not just after his death and resurrection, but while he was in the midst of his ministry on earth. And he blew him away. Now, I'm going to attempt to show you how Jesus was who he claimed to be by pointing out several characteristics of a con artist. And by showing how Jesus didn't meet any of those characteristics. We're going to study John chapter 8, verses 12 through 30. I'm going to go ahead and read that. That's what it says. It says, when Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. The Pharisees challenged him. Here you are appearing as your own witness. Your testimony is not valid. And Jesus answered, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid. For I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I come from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards. I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. In your own law it is written that the testimony of two men is valid. I am the one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Then they asked him, Where is your Father? You do not know me or my Father, Jesus replied. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. He spoke these words while teaching in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. Yet no one seized him because his time had not yet come. We love that uh, that little phrase here at our church. His time had not yet come. Once more, Jesus said said to them, I am going away, and you will look for me, and you will not find me. You will die in your sin. Where I go, you cannot come. This made the Jews ask, will he kill himself? Is that why he says, where I go, you cannot come? But he continued, you are from below. I am from above. You are of this world. I'm, I'm not of this world. I told you that you will die in your sins if you do not believe that I am the one I claim to be. You will indeed die in your sins. Who are you? They asked a <laughs> stupid question, but who are you? Just what I have been claiming all along, Jesus replied. By the way, that That was a stupid question. It was not actually in scripture. That was just my little commentary there. Anyway, verse 26. I have much to say in judgment of you, but he who sent me is reliable. And what I have heard from him, I tell the world. They did not understand that he was telling them about his father. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the son of man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. And that I do nothing on my own, but speak just what the father has taught me. The one who has sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do what pleases him. Even as he spoke, many put their faith in him. Let's pray. Father God, um, I just come to you now and I just ask God that you just show us through this passage of scripture, just your beautiful truth. Show us the reality that Jesus is who he says he is. Father, and we will be in the position, Father, that I ask God that you just, you use us, Father, you point us towards your Son, and that we surrender to you. It's all these things I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So I want to point out some characteristics of a con artist, and I want you to just carefully weigh them with Christ. First of all, con artists typically push products that we've never heard of. Con artists only present products that we're ignorant of. The benefit, of course, is that with the mystery, con artists can target a large audience and make all kinds of promises. And you can't question them on it because you don't have any idea what they're talking about. For example, I let my boys listen to a storytime podcast while we're driving down the road. And recently we listened to a story called The Wonders of Snake Oil. You probably heard the story. It's a story about a little town that had a traveling salesman come and offer a product that no one had ever heard of called snake oil. The salesman was named Doc Shamley, and he had a melodious voice, and he put people in a rhythmic uh, it was just like a, a trance almost with his sales pitch and his parlor tricks. And the story introduces his product by saying, come one, come all, come big, come small. If you have a cough or an ache or a chill, if you've broken a bone or taken a spill, if you've been poisoned or if you've been given a pox, if you've been broken or fell under rocks, if you're growing tired from all of your toil, then just try a bottle of my magic snake oil. If you've got a problem and need a quick cure, then there's, it's only a dollar and it's guaranteed pure. You see, because there's several, there's so much mystery around. What, what's this snake oil? What's this snake oil that this, this this con artist is able to present? You know, all of make all these promises to which he has no intention of delivering on. Con artists don't push products that we know about; they always stick to the things that we're ignorant of, which is totally unlike what Jesus did in the Book of John. Jesus used elements that the Jews were familiar with, for example. In John chapter 2, Jesus turned water into wine, a symbol that was synonymous with the Messiah that would come. When the Messiah comes, the Old Testament tells us, when the Messiah comes, hey, wine. In John chapter 4, Jesus says he is the living water. Why would that sound familiar? Could it be that the Jews would be familiar with the reference of living water because Moses struck the rock in the wilderness and the living water flowed from it? What about in John chapter 6 where Jesus claims to be the bread from heaven? Surely the Jews would have instantly picked on the reference because they knew that their ancestors wandered around in the wilderness and God provided manna, bread from heaven for them to eat. That's why Jesus fed the 5,000 with bread from heaven. He used symbols and he used concepts that they were already familiar with. In John chapter 8, we see Jesus claim to be yet another well-known element. In verse 12, he says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. In verse 20, we get a clear setting for where Jesus said these words. It says he's standing in the temple area near the place where the offerings were put. In other words, Jesus was standing in the women's court. This is the same location that Jesus later sees a woman come in and drop two mites and praises her for giving all that she had. Well, in the women's court of the temple, large candles were burned to symbolize the pillar of fire that led the people through the desert as they fled from Egypt. You see, in Exodus 13, the people fled from Pharaoh and God led them through the wilderness with a pillar of smoke during the day and a pillar of fire by night. You see, to escape the bondage of Egypt, they simply followed the pillar of light and God delivered them. Well, Jesus presented a concept that people were familiar with. As he stands in this place, he presents an idea that the Jews would have instantly been able to pick up on. He didn't make an obscure promise about himself. Oh, come buy it. Come one, come all. Come big, come small. He calls them to remember something that they already knew. He wasn't selling snake oil. He urges them to remember that in scripture, when the Israelites were in danger and did not know where to go, all they had to do was follow the light and that God would deliver them. And Jesus says, I am that light. I am the light of the world. In order to escape the bondage of sin and to die in your sin, we too, we must follow the light, aka Jesus, and God will deliver us. You see, Jesus used symbols that people were familiar with and presented truth about himself, which is a significant difference between Jesus and a con artist because a con artist wants to keep us in ignorance and in darkness and make all kinds of promises that they, make they have no intentions on delivering on. Jesus said, whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Con artists want us to stay in the dark about who they are and what they're about. But see, Jesus wanted the truth about him to be known. He says, come investigate. You don't know who I am? Come find out. See, artists don't want us investigating them. They, they, They want us to only see one side of who they are. Jesus said, come follow me. Get closer to me. Investigate me, and you will see that I offer living water because I'm the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. Jesus told the Pharisee Nicodemus in John 3, 19 through 21, this is the verdict. Light is coming to the world, but men love darkness because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light, will not come into the light for fear that his deeds will be exposed. Who does that sound like? Sound like a con artist. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he has done has been done through God. Jesus was not one who promoted operating in the shadows. He invited anyone and everyone in, into the inner sanctums of his life. Jesus operated in the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he was doing was done by the Father. Now, an interesting point, I'm going to move on just a second. I just want to say that you know Jesus invited 12 well-known disciples into the inner sanctums of his life, and none of them, not even Judas Iscariot, said, oh, he's a con artist. You know, these men died holding on to the truth that Jesus was who he said he was. Now, it's one thing to, to, to tell a lie, but it's a whole different story than when you're put in a situation where you must recant or die. If it's a lie, it's whatever. You know, it was a lie. I'm not losing my life for that, but all of them did. Now, that's significant. Jesus did only what he saw his father doing. Jesus operated in the light so that it may be seen plainly that what he was doing was done by the father. Which brings me to my next point, con artists want trust without verification. You see, con artists are never who they claim to be. They want us to trust them by doing any kind of, they don't want us to to do a, a background check or any kind of verification. Really talented con artists not only get us to trust them, but they make us feel like they are trusting us. For example, Maybe you've gotten an email from the prince of the Nigerian kingdom looking for an offshore account to filter their millions of dollars through. You see, in that situation, they're saying, hey, we not only want you to trust us with your bank account information, we want to trust you with all of our money. A quick Google check will probably reveal that that's not only a scam, but that province of Africa or wherever they are, it doesn't even have a prince. They don't want you doing that that little that, that quick little check. You see, con artists who play off of our greed are really skilled at presenting themselves as successful, but they don't want us to verify their identities. You see, in this passage of Scripture, the Pharisees questioned Jesus by saying in verse 13, Here you are appearing as your own witness, and your testimony is not valid. In other words, they're saying to everybody around him, move along, people. This guy's a con artist. Nothing to see here. But Jesus responds, even if I testify on my own behalf, my testimony is valid for I know where I came from and I know where I'm going. But you have no idea where I came from or where I'm going. You judge by human standards and I pass judgment on no one. But if I do judge, my decisions are right because I'm not alone. I stand with the Father who sent me. You see, in this passage, Jesus presents his credentials as the best way that they can be, you know, he can be verified that what he's saying is actually true. He discredits the Pharisees because, as, as he says, they judge by human standards. In other words, Jesus is saying, there's no human way that you can verify that I am who you say, or who I say I am. You have to go to the Father which initially, you know, sets off several red flags for people because we don't like to see God as a verifiable source. But when you think about it, what better verification could a person receive than an endorsement from the Father himself? What better verification does a person need than for God to pull back the clouds while he's being baptized and say, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. You see, Jesus says in John 8, 17 through 18, in your own law, it's written that the testimony of two men is, is valid. I am one who testifies for myself. My other witness is the Father who sent me. Now, one thing that's significant about Jesus is he stayed in step with the Father. Jesus knew that people, they were going to recognize him as the Messiah. If they are going to recognize him as God's Son, then they, could not only, they, couldn't, they could, there could be no contradictions in his life as to how the Father acted, which is why Jesus presented himself as one with the Father. He says in John 5, 19, very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. You see, Jesus was presenting a way in which people could verify his identity. Now, consider this for a second. Just just, just for example, let's say I said that I was Elvis's long lost grandson and that I should inherit all his fortunes. Would you believe me? Would it help if you saw some similar similarities between Elvis and myself? uh-huh you you want to be like you don't look anything like Elvis. What are you talking about? You see, Jesus stayed in step with the Father so that people could see the similarities and they go, yeah yeah that that that's just like God, yeah, that's just like the Father, yeah, 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 I see it people come up to me all the time and say, you know what? Your, your son Christian looks just like you. You can tell he's my son because we look alike. We act alike. He, like, he likes to imitate dad. Jesus consistently stayed in step with the father. And what's even better is he consistently led people to scripture to prove his identity. Jesus wasn't afraid of having a background check done. He, he cursed it. He told these Pharisees in John 6, 39 through 40, you diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you will possess eternal life. But these scriptures testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me and have life. Now keep in mind that scripture was precious to a Jew. Scripture was the ultimate authority over a Jew's life. If someone could show a Jew that they were supposed to jump off a bridge using scripture, they'd do it. It wouldn't matter if their friends are doing it or not. In Scripture, though, Moses said that a prophet like him would come and that the people must listen to him. Well, in the New Testament, it presents over 200 ways that Jesus was like Moses. I mean, just uncanny similarities. Hmm, that should cause me to question. The Old Testament presents over 60 messianic prophecies that Jesus fulfills in the Gospels. You see, Jesus offered verification for his his identity. He said, go back and look at it. Go back and look at the scripture. Verify my claim. You see, the Pharisees refused to. These Jewish leaders refused Jesus as the Messiah, but it wasn't because there wasn't evidence. There were numerous ways for the Pharisees to validate his claims as the Messiah. They just refused to check the source. Jesus never asked for trust without verification. Jesus told anyone to simply go to God. He pointed to the scripture, he pointed them to the Father. He invited anyone and everyone to examine his life and determine whether or not his actions matched up with the Father. In fact, he offers validation for his identity, and the Pharisees reject it and it's not hard to see why. you see on more than one occasion, people have asked asked me you know like John, why do you like? enjoying, uh, why do you enjoy reading scripture? Why do you enjoy studying? I just don't get that. And I have to say it's because of passages like the one I'm about to, you know, cover right here. Get this, Jesus is being accused by the Pharisees of being a con artist, that his testimony isn't valid. You know, move along people, nothing to see here, because he doesn't have anybody to vouch for him. Which if you think about it, You know, what Jesus was claiming, no other man's testimony would have been sufficient. Thus, no one could have met the standards of the Pharisees. So Jesus essentially tells them, you know, you're accusing me of being a con artist. Even if I testified on my own, my testimony is valid because I know where I come from and I know where I'm going. Your opinions of my identity don't matter because you judge by human standards. You say, well, I I just don't believe that Jesus is the son of God. Well, your opinion doesn't matter. If you want to talk about who the con artist is here, okay, sure, Pharisees. Let's talk about who's trying to dupe people. You want to know who my father is? I'm sure you do. That's because you don't know me and you do not know my father. And if you knew my father, you would know that I am of him. So if anybody's a con artist here, it's you. In the book of Matthew, Jesus lays into the Pharisees by calling them whitewashed tombs. He tells them, you present yourself as holy and righteous. And and, and sure, you're beautiful on the outside, but you're just like whitewashed tombs because you have dead men's bones inside. So really, who's the con artist here? You present yourself as if you're the only way to the Father. And if people wanted to know God, they have to come through you. But you don't even know him. So if anyone's a con artist here... Oh yeah, Pharisees, it's you. You gotta love scripture. When you read something like that, Jesus was just masterful as they accused him of being a con artist. He's like, no, 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 no. You're the con artist. One of the points I wanna make about a con artist, that con artists capitalize off of impulsive decisions and they never sacrifice any of their own. Aha, you might be thinking. Here's one area that Jesus lined up with a con artist. Didn't Jesus say in John 7, No, I'm only with you for a short time. Buy it today. With a con artist, time is always limited. There's always a push for a product, and you don't, you don't, they don't want you to sleep on it. Don't go sleep on it. You need to get it now, because I don't want you to be thinking about this decision that you're making. I want you to just make it. Do it. Do it now. Do it now. Come on. Well, this is at least one way Jesus lined up with a con artist, right? Nope. Jesus said in Luke 14, 25-34 that if anyone wants to beat his disciple, they must first consider the cost. He says a man doesn't start building a tower without first considering whether he has enough resources to finish it. A king doesn't go to war without first considering whether or not he has men enough to overthrow his enemy. Jesus told people, don't come follow me without considering what you're giving away. And I don't care what your grandpappy told you in vacation Bible school. Salvation is not a free gift, and Scripture never presents it as such. Salvation does cost us something. Correction, salvation costs us everything. Following Jesus demands your life. Jesus never encouraged an impulsive decision to follow him. Instead, Jesus challenged his disciples to weigh the cost for following him. That doesn't change the fact that time on earth is limited. Do you get to sleep on it? Well, go ahead if you like, but also recognize that tomorrow isn't a guarantee. Well, that sure sounds like a con artist. Let me ask you a question. If Jesus was a con artist, why would he go to the cross? Remember, con artists never actually sacrifice anything of themselves. Sure, they can present the idea that they too are going in on halves, and they just need your 20000 to make you both rich. You see, they never actually sacrifice anything. If Jesus was such a con artist, why would he have gone to the cross? 1 John 3, 16 says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. He tells them in this passage of Scripture, you will know I am who I say I am when you see the Son of Man lifted up. You're going to know. Oh, that guy wasn't just a con artist. See, a con artist really needs you to sacrifice something. You look at them and say, okay, you first. Con artists don't sacrifice anything of themselves. Yet Jesus did. See, we must be careful not to fall for the real con that's going on here in Scripture. In verse 21 and 24, these people, he tells them, Jesus tells them, that they will die in their sin if they don't believe that he is the one he claims to be. It's not a con If it's true, there is a time crunch here. You only have so much time on earth, and you must believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus wasn't pulling a fast one on people, he was alerting them of the reality of judgment. The Pharisees refused to acknowledge him as the Messiah and recognize him as the Son of God. And Jesus understood that people were skeptical of a false prophet with good reason. Which is why he tells him in verse 28, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am the one I claim to be. Because con artists don't sacrifice anything of themselves. Once again, Jesus points back to the Father. He shows us that if we don't believe he is who he says he is, then just go ask for confirmation from the Father because everything he does is in step with the Father. The Pharisees were the real con artists in this passage. You see, the real con leads us to believe that we don't need Christ. But keep in mind though, we can't play the comparison game. That's the trap they fell into. And that's, that's, that's really the trap that Satan wants us to buy into. You see, when we read about individuals like the Pharisees, we mysteriously begin to feel good about ourselves at the same time. A similar thing can happen when we get conned. Although we might not feel you know, we feel like an idiot. We go, I can't believe I fell for that. It's such an obvious scam. But we also inadvertently begin to feel self-righteous. You know, there are people out there scamming old people out of billions of dollars. But I don't do that. I'm a good person. Not because I'm really good, just because, hey, I'm better than them. See what the Pharisees did? You realize that that's what they did? They had a name for people like that. You know what they called them? Sinners. Oh, there's the sinners over there. Why is Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners? They believed they might not be the best, but at least they weren't like them. You know, the people out there scamming people, they're headed to hell. You know, they need Jesus. It's a good thing I'm a good person. No, Jesus, I'm not ready to come to you. After all, do I really need you? The Pharisees didn't think so. I'm not like all those criminals out there swinging little old ladies out of their retirement funds. I, I, I'm a good person. I don't need you. Understand we have to recognize our need for Christ. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. The Pharisees rejected Jesus and decided they didn't need him. And the moment we began to judge these Pharisees and think, what a bunch of low lives. We began to fall for the biggest con of all time. Because we're falling into that comparison trap. And if we fail to recognize our own sinfulness and choose to surrender our lives over to Christ, we fall for the worst con of all time. It's the worst con because we're not playing high stakes poker at this point. We're getting conned out of eternal life. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and none can come to the Father except by him. Don't rely upon just being better than your neighbor. Because that's not going to add up. Instead, come out of the shadows and move towards the light of the world. Don't fall for the greatest con of all. Instead, surrender your life over to Christ. Hey, thanks again for listening. We pray that God blessed you through this message and has given you a clear direction for your life. Please remember to download our church app by searching FBC Rungi in Google Play or iTunes. And remember to subscribe to our podcast so that you never miss another message. If you have any questions about today's message, you can contact us via Facebook or Twitter or use our website. Until then, we hope that you share in our vision to help people take root, grow, and bear fruit. And if so, then let's get out there and get to work.